Welcome to another episode of the Bandwagon Podcast. And today I'm joined by indirect royalty. Well, he's, he's got an MBE, so we'll just play it off from there. Um, he's multi-talented. And without further ado, I'd like you to introduce to you, Sonny Singh Dehele. Welcome. Dehele. You, got, you got it right that time, bro. That Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. Third take. No, they don't, know, they don't know that, man. They what they're going to know now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Um, I've actually pretty much listened to all your podcasts. And when you wow. picked me up to say, let's uh, listen, I was like, all right, yeah, let's give it a go. But yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. And thank you so much for having yeah. me. Yeah, no, thanks, man. I, I know I really appreciate that. And uh, one of the things was, was um, um, looking at, I've got a particular project and a playlist that I'm trying to work with the lottery in uh, with the Heritage Fund, which is to kind of highlight key individuals um, in kind of pieces of work and try and elevate them to a kind of a bit of a platform or make them aware and celebrate their success really. And uh, when we, when uh, I looked into your kind of work and, and uh, seen it, I thought, yeah, I've got, I've got to get him on for the chat. Yeah, um, I mean, there's so much that's happened in the last two years and uh, I only met you what, a few weeks ago for the first yeah. time and yeah, that was. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, was. Uh, let's not talk about that night. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it started off going to AP a, AP Dylan's uh, concert. Concert. And then it ended up in a tent. That's all we're gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone wants the footage from that night, <laughs> yeah, just message me direct. I'll send it to you. But I just, we just can't talk about it, what happened. <laughs> oh man, it was it, it was a it was a crazy night. But hopefully, we could kind of uh, give it direct, so people can work it out as usual. Yeah, yeah. So, it so, involves. Uh, uh, my friend uh, Crash and uh, a very famous music producer from Coventry. Unbelievable. But anyway. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, Sunny, um, you know, you're, you're one of those characters that, you know, when I further looked in it, I was like, how the hell have I not kind of bumped into you before, kind of been aware of some of your work, really? So, you've been one of those. Uh, what they call peripatetic people in the background, also known as a floater, but I don't want to refer to you as a floater in that way. Yeah. But but um, just kind of your history in terms of uh, coming into the um, the sangat or let, let's talk about from the music side. Or but let, let 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 you kind of decide to start your story where where, uh, where where you want to. So when I was at uni, uh, pre uni actually, I mean, um, uh, obviously growing up in West London. Um, we, we, I, I used to live right next to Southall. My cousins are from Southall, so our culture was very Southall based. Mm. And there's a lot of musical influence. We had a lot of religious influence growing up as well. So obviously, we started doing, start playing tabla and dorki and the rest of it as you're as you're growing up. And then slowly got into DJing with my cousin, which led to uni days. Playing what, was your, what was your DJ called? Oh, we were called Uncensored. So uh, mm-hmm. at that time, that sort of name worked. You might remember it. You might yeah, remember I'll, it. I'll see some flyers or something. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. I used to hate so, London like that, though, man. Any of those gigs, I was like, no, you ain't made it unless you're in Birmingham, man. Don't want to go there. Oh, we, used to come, we used to go to Leicester every other week, uh, every week, actually, to a place called Lounge Run. Uh, yeah, I know Lounge Run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was going to be, uh, what year was this? Uh, probably 2001. So there was, like, hang- there was hangers there. There was, uh, what was that other one? The, the big one? Creation, creation, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that was I think me. I went creation once. I went there once for like this. There was some sort of charity event going on there. I think, and I, I, we were playing. We played like a two-minute set there. <laughs> but I remember that. Um, 
so yeah, from uni days, we started, um, <clears throat> we got residency quite quickly at this famous nightclub called, uh, well, famous night called Hot and Spicy, which was like one of the first sort of UK student uh, events that happened on a weekly basis, which started, I think, in the in the mid 90s. So I sort of got residency there and played once or twice at Limelight before it shut down. Then I moved to Capital Club, then became a resident at Gas Club. And then before I knew it, I was DJing Mondays to Saturdays pretty much every night, somewhere in the, somewhere in London, one, once a week in Leicester. We had a trip to Birmingham, we had a trip to up north, I think we abroad a couple of times. Just do like Bangla uh, music or different genres? Yeah, it was, or, all, it was all Bangla. Yeah. 90% on the odd occasion, like if I was doing something I'd, like Bar Bollywood on a Friday, I'd mix it up with Bollywood. And, Bar Bollywood. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. I feel the old You dropping these, dropping these yeah. names and nights. So a lot. Of, I mean, we had. It was good, Bradley, because we didn't have no social media. So it was literally text messaging. I, I mean, I still got my old phone here somewhere lying around here, <laughs> and I used to have text messaging lists of like people that used to follow us around, other promoters, other artist people, and used to have a text. And used to have to send each text one by one to everyone to say, "Yeah, we're playing here today. We're playing here today. We're playing here today." And uh, yeah, we sort of created a little following, which then led on to. Uh, as obviously like you know when you're a DJ you want to do bigger and better things and you want to do music and music side wasn't too successful but on the promoting side I got involved with a company called Bump and Grind that used to run events at Ministry of Sound Mm. and we done we yeah we done probably about like seven or eight events there over the years uh, popular events at Ministry of Sound and then we went on to do the very last Bangla event at Equinox uh, in Leicester Square which, before it shut down, and um, and then and then my life changed because um, I, I graduated from uni and <laughs> my dad said no more music. <laughs> my dad sitting there really looking at me. Like, I didn't say I, that to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't to blame. I wasn't. I wasn't to blame. For you. <laughs> you know, it's like just got just you just mentioned about like you tried to go into music. What what did it work out for you? Because you have you like all the ingredients are there. Like you. You got a following. You're doing nights. You know this is obviously pre-social media, and like you got. And so what happened? I think uh, personally speaking, like I was quite stubborn. Like I never, I don't, I never used to believe in this ghost production thing that was happening. It was quite heavy back then. Mm. So like, like people used to go to Camelot, and people used to go to like Tiger Style a lot, and 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 those type of people to get stuff done. And I wasn't. I was like, I want to learn it. I want to learn it. I want to learn it because I had some musical background, mm. but. I think it was my stubbornness or uh, I, I was never good enough. I was never clever enough to learn the whole thing because I was too busy in doing the events. I never gave it enough time. And when I did eventually get into the studio, I didn't have the best experience, in all honesty. I'm not going to drop do you mean, any like, names. What, what do you mean? <laughs> no, what do you mean? Like, I'm not, no, I'm, I don't want to go into it, make it whatever you yeah. but like... Like navigating around the studio, you didn't have to work it, all that kind of stuff. No, no, I mean, when you're in the studio and you've got an engineer, it's pretty easy. I mean, you yeah. just tell them what you what you want to hear. You can play them stuff that's out there and they can basically, you know, like, that's how ghost production works. It, yeah. it, 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 even now, like, all the songs, they all follow a trend. We're all into that AP Dylan style stuff at the moment. So all the producers are coming out with very similar stuff. Well, no, but, well uh, basically, no Punjabi instruments, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, back then it was very, like, jitty, cam frantic style. It was all that, you know, like, Jags Climax had come out with his track at the time. So all that sound was really big. Mm. And uh, I was one of those people that thought, now I want to try and do it myself. I want to learn the tech side. I want to learn the music side. But I just didn't give myself time. Uh, when I got into the studio, uh, unfortunately, um, 
as we know, because of the whole ghost production thing was it was quite big at the time. Um, it was all about how the ghost producer would make money out of the person like me because there were hundreds of me around at that time. Yeah. So for them, it was like, let's knock out an album a week. We'll make, you know, X amount of money. So unfortunately, I fell into that. So, but it didn't hold me back. Um, we released it anyway. It didn't do well at all. What was um, it called? It was called Delayed because the album was so delayed. So we called it Uncensored <laughs> Delayed. <laughs> you can probably find it on YouTube somewhere. Um, who, was on the, who was on the album? We had uh, a vocal from Surinder Shinda. Some new dude called Barnishi Baramala and Asa Karma. I can't remember the rest of them now. It was that, that we like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had a vocal from called D Mar. I mean, if I say any more, people are going to start searching for it. I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's going to happen? I'll, I'll put the link yeah. up to the description. No, no, you don't want to do that. Um, and then um, around 2004, um, my team were bringing her Bajaman over to the UK. He'd previously come in 2000 or 2002, but we wanted, he had just released his first film. I think it was Giyanu at the time. And he was about to release his second film, Asanuman uh, Vatananda, if I'm not wrong, could be wrong. And uh, if he, was the, he was the only guy who was doing Punjabi films at the time. So for us, for me being a Punjabi in the UK, it was such a big thing. Um, and we took on the film to release it as a general release in, in, in cinemas here. And I think we released it in eight or nine, maybe even 10 screens across the country. So pre to that, uh, in April time, we bought Hadfa Genoa for a UK tour, which was uh, Wembley Conference Centre, which is no longer there. Mm. Uh, Wolverhampton Civic Halls. That's still there. Gravesend Woodville Halls. And I think Leeds Town Hall, I think that was the four stops we done on the first tour. And um, then um, that was brilliant, I have to say. That her Virgin Man tour in 2004, what a hype. I've still got footage of it here somewhere. What a mad hype. <laughs> He's a lovely um, guy, man. I met, I met him once, man. Her Virgin is one of the most sincerest, truthful guys that you'll meet in, Punjabi, in the Punjabi music industry. Even now, like his releases are like brilliant. Like they just, straight to the point they talk about family relationships real things in Punjab problems unfortunately none of the stuff what you know like guns and tanks and what else kebabs and what they sort of talk about <laughs> these days yeah I met him uh, I met him with uh, Kaka Mournwalia we went he, <laughs> I was chilling at home yeah Kaka goes oh uh, Vix what you doing I was like yeah, I'm busy he goes nah 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 copy me copy me I'll, I'll pick you up I went okay I had no idea what, what was going to happen. I was literally, the picture I got, I'm in like a, a Nike t-shirt, jeans, trainers. Uh, and he goes, don't worry, I've got a surprise for you, man. I said, okay. He goes, oh, just bring one of your, I was doing a drugs conference at the same time. So that's what I was working on. I was just sorting some stuff. He goes, I'll just bring one of the booklets with you. I said, all right, safe. Went, went with him, went straight down. He uh, starts going towards the mailbox, isn't it? I thought, bloody hell, we're having a munch in it. This is good, good laugh. I ended up going into the Mount Maison, the hotel there, and I heard a bunch of And I was like, what the? F- yeah. What do I do there? Then, then, he go, then he was just like, it was just him on his own, no entourage, nothing. And, yeah. he, was, and he just goes like, he started asking. Then he, he recorded a, he recorded a little book, uh, like a little advert for me, you know, just 
didn't even ask him or anything. He heard about it, heard about it, loved what it was about, and he goes, "Yeah, I'll do it." I went, "Okay, wicked." Anyway, I thought, you know, I've done my bit now. I said, "Cocky, I'm gonna." He goes, "I'm gonna go," and he's like, "Nah, nah, we've got to go to the wedding now." <laughs> oh, what? So we went to Bingley Hall. I'm in like, you know, like you should. There's a wedding going on. I'm in like trainers, jeans, and a t-shirt. I think you're used to that, bro. You know, it's happened to you a couple of times now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. Yeah. <laughs> And then I went in there, I met Gop Sira and uh, Guitars Bindrakia. Uh, is it Guitars? Yeah, 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 Bindrakia, son, yeah. And um, went just chilling at the back, and then Arbhajan does his thing, and the crowd go mental, man. And you just forget, you just forget, like, yeah. the, you know, like some of the things. And then he came out, we went to dinner, and I came over, and I was like, I thought you're just going to give me like 10 minutes, half an hour, hour back. I was like, I had like a full free. Three meal yeah. course and everything, and, and during that time, he was telling like stories about his struggles of how he got into the industry, yeah. and you know, he was a, he was a groundbreaker and a trendsetter for a lot of this kind of you know, you just talked stuff, about yeah. in the film, and he, yeah, doesn't, he was like, I, doesn't really get the I credit me- for that. I remember like at the time when they were doing this, like the first film, GR New, he just got a DVD release in, in the UK, I think maybe even one screen, possibly in the Midlands somewhere. And when his second film was coming, like we were so determined, like to make sure that. You know, that her budget gets that. Uh, we get because at the end of the Punjabi cinema was big once upon a time before what it was now. Mm. Punjabi cinema was massive. Um, then it just died out. Bollywood took over, you know, the Shah Rukhs came and the rest of it came. And we had this line, we used to say this line, forget Shah Rukh Khan, it's all about King Man, about her budget man. So we used to say her budget man. We, we, we were just like, we were passionate about his projects because we saw his vision. And you know what? Truth be told, had he not released those films that he did at the time, don't think Dilji or Ami or anyone like that would be doing what they're doing because he actually did put the foundation down for all these guys to be releasing. And now, like, if you go, for example, Dilji film, he's probably releasing at least 20, 25 screens in the UK. And that's a, um, for a cinema, like 20 screens, he's per average is probably on par with someone like Shah Rukh. So, like, that's the way the cinemas work. It's not. Um, it's not, oh, like they obviously, they do look at the overall picture in the UK, the film done like 10 million or whatever, like like a Bollywood film or big Bollywood film. But they look at a per average or per screen. So like if you put a budget non film in Feltham or in, in, in Birmingham against a, or a Dilji film against a Shah Rukh film, the, the Dilji film will probably do better because the people around the area are more Punjabi orientated mm. in certain, certain areas. So they would, we would basically target those cinemas in the Punjabi areas to say, yeah, we know uh, our Punjabi live in the same area. So our per average per film, that per screen, which used to be on par with like Shah Rukh and even some Hollywood films at the time. So, and truth, truth be told, that if her budget hadn't put those foundations in, I don't think they'd be as big as, or it would have taken a long, longer time for it to sort of get around, but yeah. And what do you, what do you think about the amount of films that are coming in now? Like I think in London, there's about eighteen different films being shot at the same time at the at the moment. Honestly, the the last one I saw, I think I've seen the last few Ami Verk ones. I generally don't watch Punjabi or Bollywood films. Mm. I think I saw the last Ami Verk one. I can't remember what it's called now, but I mean they're okay. But I mean, like I think the mistake that her budget made. And this mistake that these guys are making, their films are all exactly the same. It's just the same actors, the same actresses. Mm. The storyline's a bit different. The same guy plays the dad, same guy plays the granddad. And I think 
there is a change that is needed now. Um, I think it is coming in slowly. I haven't seen any of the new films, so I can't really comment too much on it. But yeah, I mean, I think the change is needed definitely to get away from that cliche, you know, Bollywood, Punjabi, whatever, dancing in the streets of London sort of thing. That needs to sort of, I think they need to step away from that a bit now. Yeah, it's the same locations for absolutely everything in it. And just like, oh my God, I, I don't even, I don't watch those films in it. I, I, I literally don't because. Yeah, yeah, I just want. I mean, I, I mean, I, from what I know, these the companies they get they get grants on things from the UK councils and stuff, so to film here, tourism board or something like that. So yeah, it, it, makes, of, it makes sense for them to come here. Yeah, yeah, it's financial benefits for it in terms of why they don't really care if it's successful or not. It's just that that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's let's say it's, they're very generous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so after, yeah. after that, I think two thousand and four, we came again in two thousand six. Came and I did him again in 2007, three times I did his tour, 2004, 2006, 2008. And in 2008, we took him to Wembley Arena, which was like a massive step up from the conference center, which had been um, demolished by then. And uh, that was a game changer for him, I think, in 2008. Um, and anyone who came to that show, even to today, my, some of my friends still remind me that one particular show that he done at Wembley Arena was like amazing. Yeah, so that's it really. And then uh, we had Adnan so did, was, that, was that a natural progression from what you were doing in terms of like from the DJs to going to the promotion? Because a lot of a lot of a lot of people in that music scene or that the from a DJ perspective might not even go there, just be like, look, I'm happy to get booked. I don't really want to do the hassle of the nights out, but did you feel it was a natural thing for you? For me, it's more natural because I've been like involved in family business since I was young. So for me, it was always like always look at the bigger picture. And um, I think at that time I wasn't getting as a as a DJ I wasn't getting that those big bookings. So now I thought to myself, right, if I'm not getting the big bookings, I'm just going to do the big bookings myself. So yeah. it was just like, let me go and put on my own. So as soon as I started like DJing at Ministry and Equinox and places like that, Ostergate other promoters hit me up from across the country saying, oh, can you come down to Manchester and for the times and Glasgow and a couple other places to do nights. So. I think, yeah, in that sense, I sort of made sure that I got into a bigger stage myself by doing the event myself. And then I ended up progressing onto with other promoters across the country and Europe and God knows where else. I can't remember now. And then, so you went on to, you said from Hupadjaman, you went on to Adnan Sami as well. And then oh, he, yeah. was, he was huge at that. Not literally, but like, I mean, like. He was oh, huge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, like, fame wise, he was massive. So in 2005, we did his sort. So it was the year after her budget, the two her budget tours that I did. It was the year in the middle. It was August bank holiday. Um, so Wembley Arena, they were they had knocked it down. So they had put a temporary marquee structure, like yeah. an inflatable marquee, just to do events. So we did two events on the on Sun on the bank holiday Sunday and the bank holiday Monday, on in August, and um, that was an experience because um, that was my first feel of what. How Bollywood works. And what, what, I didn't what, like it. You did. What was it? What was the main differences? The nakara, like working with someone like Hafizan, who was just like quite down to earth, and he didn't really care. The only thing that Hafizan wanted before a show was a cup of hot water, and you know maybe some something sweet in between, and maybe a cup of tea in his break. And his band members were like. They're quite simple. They're the old Pindavalias back then. So they were like dal roti. 
but working with Bollywood, like 50 dance people, 45 band members, 10 crew members, the manager, the manager's wife, the manager's daughter, manager's kutta, you know, like it was just like, it was too much. Like the, the Nukra level was up here. And we, I mean, I get it because that's showbiz, right? Uh, the ride, the rider is the, the rider, the rider rules. If you can supply the rider, the artist will come with you. So it was, the, uh, what, it was it just getting really outlandish or? Yeah, like, obviously behind closed doors, every art, most artists are different from what you see them yeah. on screen, so on, on TV, on screen, on YouTube. So there was no difference here. I mean, I, I never had much one-to-one with Adnan himself. And, and the one I, the times I did speak to him, he was a really, really nice guy, a really brilliant guy, really down to earth, and he was extremely talented. And he spoke to me in Punjabi, which was sick because he goes to me, he goes, Punjabi They um he grew up in London, so he had he knew everything about London already. He grew up, he used to live behind Harrods or something. Yeah, so yeah, he, he um he was in that sense he was wicked. It was just like the people around him. And I, I mean Bollywood is not all it seems, so nah, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not surprised actually. You know, like as soon as you kind of said that, you kind of worked out that I was, you know, these guys are. Yeah. Whatever. I'm feeling for him. He was just interested in putting on a show. He was really big. At, this is his last year. He was publicly visible as a big, big guy. Yeah. After that, he went into treatment and fat loss reduction and whatnot. He stayed in London for a while for that treatment, from what I know. But um, I remember he was he used to struggle a lot. Like we used to have, we used to keep beanbags on on. Uh, there's a ramp behind Wembley. We used to go down at the bottom of the ramp. We used to keep beanbags there because he just used to collapse off the stage because uh, he was so big. Because he used to have to carry himself and getting into the car was a mission. So I mean, at that point, we, we used to think, man, is this guy even going to survive another few years? Like Seriously? being yeah, because he was so active on stage as a big guy, and then and then completely like it took him an hour and a half to sort of recover from the shock of being on stage but you know good on him man that he he did yes yeah, so, yeah sorry about that little um delay there they had a, a massive power cut on the whole road so the alarms were going off so i couldn't really re-record with the uh, alarms going. it would have started to annoy a lot of people but weirdest thing isn't it well it's true, it's true, true, true. <laughs> Well, technically, I'm not. I'm not Birmingham. No, you know, I'm out of the area. <laughs> no, the weirdest thing is the heater. We got electric heater. It just keeps coming on and off by itself. Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. That'd be good to scare the kids later on when they're back. <laughs> that'd be good. Um, it's a bit like when people say, uh, "Where are you from?" They say, "Oh, we're from Ealing," but really, you're from Southall. <laughs> That's all London to me. So, yeah, 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 yeah. All of that is all the same. I just we were we were interviewing uh. B21 for um, our Desi Live documentary, Bengal Chronicles 2, that we're just murky. And then Bally goes, that back in the day, uh, uh, it's wicked the way you said it. It made so much sense because, like, the mentality from people from Birmingham, he was saying, oh, Lon- Birmingham's like a pin and London's like the shed. And he goes, the more further north you go, the more Pindu it gets. So I was like, you know what? That's, that's the best way to put it. It's so true. <laughs> it's a lot more relaxed in pace, man. That's the one thing that I kind of... Uh, and And more probably quality of life. It's more money. Yeah. For, for me, it's kind of ties in for like younger generation. This is kind of me being old. But the more you go towards London, it's more money driven. Oh, yeah, 100%. Anything 100%. kind of always gets less and less. And it's more about quality of life. like. More relaxed. 100%. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. But um, 
Home's home, isn't it? Wherever you are, really. So, home is where the heart is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that sounds yeah. really crap. Anyway, um, so you've just done the you've just done the admin tour, then. So, what was your kind of next bit to go on to? Because, like, you're you've already dealt with the biggest Punjabi star at that time coming into film. You then just done a big Bollywood sensation riding the wave of what he's got. Then they, you know, how many kind of options are open to you then? There was nothing left. Um, at that point, we were thinking, oh, we'll just leave, forget the gig scene now. Like, we're big boy, we're big boy promoters now, you know? Like, you have, for about half a minute, you do think like that because the ego does step in a bit. But then we realized, you know, like, that was still our roots. So we carried on doing smaller events, weekly events in London. Uh, for the over 23s, over 30s and stuff like that. And then in 2006, um, my family, we opened a banqueting restaurant in Slough called Haveli. Okay. Which then I was basically put in charge of to to run. Stop your music, start serving. That's it. That's it, basically. Um, and then, and, and my waistline went through the roof. Um, so... <laughs> what was it? And, Were you promoted to be like chief taster? I was promoted to everything. I was literally doing everything. I was like, every time I walked past the chef, I'd just grab a smosa, grab a, grab a alu tiki or something, or grab a panid in it. So, yeah. It was just part, it's part and parcel. You don't realise when you're there when you're doing it. But um, yeah, so we, we, we went into the whole catering and banqueting and restaurant industry, so hospitality. And, um, and then the gigs and the events took a back step. I mean, it was it wasn't as important. We still did her, her budget in 2008. So that was 2006 we bought the place and then 2008 Harpa came in and, and then after that, um, that was pretty much my last sort of uh, event outside Haveli because the events inside Haveli really kicked off. So uh, we were doing like three to four big events a year, like a Diwali event, which was like really big, a New Year's Eve, which is really big. Chris, uh, around Christmas, we used to do quite a few events, maybe like Valentine, something like that. So we used to do that three events a year, three to four events a year, really, really big ones at Haveli, which sort of took up all my time. And then the gig scene sort of, see you later. Like at that point, um, you can chat to any of the promoters. Uh, they'll tell you around 2006, seven, the sort of the scene in London completely died uh, because people like me started doing dinner and dances instead of. Yeah, that was the big, yeah. that, was the, that was the big thing. You saw a lot of, um... Venues started to close. They're like, it was very difficult to go and find a photo night anywhere. And uh, yeah. everything started becoming like a wedding. And you know, those exactly That's what it. you said the dinner dinner and dances. That was a so big thing. What happened in London? We had Ken Livingston as their mayor. Mm. And he's basically what well, his idea was I'm going to shut down anyone that causes us issues. So Leicester Square literally overnight turned in from clubs and pubs and bars to um, casinos and bars instead. And, and the clubs are very small that did that were left behind like super clubs in London pretty much vanished overnight. And the only one that sort of has survived the whole test of time is Ministry of Sound because it was outside the city of Westminster. Yeah. It comes under a different council. That's so that survived uh the Ken Livingston wrath. And then after him, Boris came in and Boris didn't really pay much attention to to the nightlife, whereas uh Yusuf Khan. He's basically trying to revive the nightlife back in London because nightlife plays a massive part to London economy. And as we know, we've gone through good, you know, since 2008, since the crash, first crash we had, till now we've gone through such an upside down world. So every, any, every penny counts. So 
thus that uh that's the reason now why i'm sort of we're sort of back into it now um oh. doing bits and bobs so, so how long yeah. was that gap then so when you kind of you stopped and then you kind of picked it back up uh i think so 2006 we sort of started there 2014 15 we sold it in 14 um in 2000, so you you might know the guys from Desi Beats. Uh, actually, you do know them. So I started doing bits and bobs with them around that time. So um, I was always really good friends with them. Um, Prash, me and Prash, but he lives right near me, so we used to meet up on a regular basis. Always like you know, exchanging ideas and always help him out because I got obviously the experience and you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. He was also into the restaurant business, so we had a lot lot of common common ground. Uh, a lot of, a lot of he, shared pain. Yeah, a lot of shared pain. Um, waistlines to match as well. <laughs> or more, more me than him, to be fair. Um, and then um, that's it, really. He, he got back into it, into the full swing of it after leaving the restaurant business. And we done a Ranjit, the Ranjit Money, Ranjit Money tour in London. We've done the, show, uh, the London show for that. Ranjit Money. Not Ranjit Money. Ranjit Bava. What are we talking about? I was, gonna, I was just going to say that. Money is like, that would be the, <laughs> nah, nah, a, hard, nah. a hard sell. I haven't had my coffee. No, Renji Baba, he came uh, in 2016, I think. So after all these years, that was a real event together. Um, so we done that. And then from there onwards, um, I started concentrating more on the charity side, religious side, yeah. uh, organizing smograms in London and helping the smograms that were happening. Because I had like, you know, like now I've got like 20, 15 or 20 odd years of event uh, experience behind me. So um, that, what, was make... it, what was the decision making process on that? Because uh, it kind of leads up to where you are today. What was the, what was the thinking? Because I'm guessing yeah, so, when you're in, your, in your youth, you weren't, that weren't really at the forefront or was it? I mean, uh, look, um, religion has played a massive part. Sikhi has played a massive part in my life. Um, and um, I've always like, no matter what, uh, I did throughout the uni times, music promotion, you know, like I, I always had my set grand morals. I knew what I want, what I was like morally, what I was allowed to do and what I wasn't. So, you know, music was like my mom and dad gave me like the free will to do what you want. But, you know, there's certain things I want, I, I didn't want to do, like, because I used to see my friends doing it and it didn't like, I think to myself, that's not me, you know, getting drunk and stuff like that. And I was like, that's not me. That's not my life. My life is music. I, I, I want to put on shows. I want to be on stage. I want to be on the mic. You know, that was me. Mm. Um, I used to get I used to get a natural high off, you know, massive crowd reacting to, you know, uh, a banner, for example, or filling out Wembley Arena with a Nan Sami or Bajuman. That was my buzz. And it still is today. Like, I love it. Um, so I, I never indulged in anything like that. So sort of led me on to even during Haveli times you know I, I kept the same morals I was like no I know what I'm going to do and I'm not going to do I'm, I might help other people do it but I'm not going to do it myself yeah so we went on to um so yeah so as soon as like in 2014 we held the first smargam in London um in uh, North Holt and um we we didn't me and my team uh, my mate my, one of my mates Tej from TS Designs um my family were involved and 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 I think there was only about three or four families who were involved at the time so we're not a committee we're not a good daughter. we're not a charity at that time you know we're nothing we were just literally like five families who thought we want to do something 
for it. And, and I was really like, because I've had like 15, 20 years of experience now, I'm like, I want to do something on this side. And uh, what can we do? So we literally uh, rocked up to this land in um, this massive venue, like big bit of land in London, just off the A40. We were like, we want to do a smargum here. And they were like, okay, do it. So we literally booked the date and uh, six months we organized this smargum. And it was basically, we didn't, we didn't actually know that we'd have any sangat coming to it because we're not attached to any gurdwara. And uh, on the first day, it was quite daunting because we've just spent something like 50, 50 60,000 pounds of putting this whole thing together. And there's no sangat there. And we were like, okay, that's fine. You know, it's cool. Um, and then by the evening, it got really busy. And then I remember on Sunday when uh, Guru Granth Sahib was leaving uh, the venue, uh, the marquee where we'd done the, where we'd done the smagam. Um, me and my mates looked at each other and we started like crying. We got really emotional because we were like, we just one year's vision. We just put it together. We didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And to see like the marquee full, you know, few thousand people standing there and the reaction we were getting from the Sangha, like, make sure you do this again next year. Make sure you do it again next year. And then we did it again. And then we did it again. So since 2014, we've done it in 2022 now. Uh, the last two years, we didn't do it because of the pandemic on a bigger scale. But previous to that, we did it as an online smagam. And then last year, we did it at um, Havelock Road, Gurunanak Road, Skundwara, uh, which also was how Digi Sangat sort of came about because of COVID. So, um, yeah, just touching on that. So, um, because around the start of pandemic, me and my event brain was thinking, how are we going to reconnect all these people back? Yeah. Because we're all sitting at home, you're sitting at home, we're sitting at home. And you know, we've got our channels and stuff and we've got, but everyone was glued to Sky News or BBC News and all we were doing was COVID, 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 COVID. It had literally taken over our lives. And um, so we just, me and my team, we were like, what can we do digitally to sort of reconnect everyone back? Like somehow, what can we do? And um, we had the idea, but we never really, because we were, during COVID, like everyone got lazy. We were like, oh, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. Um, I had a bit of shonk, a little bit of like, I was having fun with YouTube and some um, uh, that broadcasting software, that OBS and stuff like that. I was messing around with it. And my mate's uh, aunt passed away, unfortunately. She was one of the first people that passed away from COVID that I had heard of. Mm. And he was um, he was saying, look, we can't get together. The Gurdwara are going to do the normal thing, but we're not allowed to go there. You know, we're grieving as a family. COVID, like, it, we don't know how big it was going to be at that time. COVID's taken my aunt. Can we do something online? I'm like, yeah, I mean, we can organize a Zoom meeting. I, I suppose I can probably get someone like my dad or someone to do Sukhani Sabhati. He's like, no, we want to make it a little bit more formal. So I said, yeah, I suppose we can. So um, I basically found a, a Gyanni who was obviously, he's sitting at home as well. And I said to him, look, Gyaniji, can you do Sukhani Sabhati for this family if I can set you up on your phone? and sort of broadcast to our YouTube channel. And he said, yeah, I can do it, no problem. So he done that for them and uh, done some good for them. And the family were like, wow, thank you so much. Like, you know, we didn't, we didn't expect it to be so like so good and so interactive. And you see that there were, there was about 60 odd people watching and uh, it was good. And then out of the back of that, two days later, I got another phone call to say, you did it for them, can you do it for us? I said, yeah, of course I can. And then that led to the third one, to the fourth <laughs> one, to the fifth one. Before we knew we've done that, I was literally sitting at my desk where I am now, um, three computers, 
each one broadcasting a different part for a different family at the same time and editing videos making it look nice you know just yeah. trying to make things good for the family and family and then um, i've got a few requests can you go can you go to the actual funerals so yeah i said yeah no problem so masked up um and this um, is early this is early part of covid right this is like the first lockdown wave, wave one yeah wave one wave one yeah so i masked up nobody knew how bad covid was really going to affect the body or how it works so fully at risk you know um found some softwares for the phone got bought gimbals just went head head on and uh, went to the house you know that like they do the house thing in the morning mm. they go to the gurdwara then they go to the crematorium so basically followed the hearse around the whole day um all free of charge i never ever charged anyone um if i had a cost involved like for example if i had to come to midlands or something they'd uh, the family if they wanted to they they can they can pay uh, but generally there was no cost involved uh, whatever we had to pay the gyanis or the bhaktis the family would sort that direct there's no issue but with you, that but, you know just want to touch on something that like that's not your day to day at that point you then you've taken it on and you go to funeral it will have in such a, an emotional kind of impact what did that have on you because like i remember going to see you know funerals like that and having that weird kind of no it wasn't weird it was strange that's the probably correct word of 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 seeing a um, funeral online but you know for somebody actually recording it there how were you dealing with that emotion as well the thing that got me the most was i've been to we've all been to funerals what what got me the most was actually looking up and actually seeing no one there literally the, it was a funeral director maybe the driver two family members three the gyanmi and me um and i just didn't do sikh ones as well not just not apne i did a christian hindu one as well um a couple of hindu ones um so it wasn't just for our community i tried to help as many people as we could at that point but it was weird because you normally when you go to a funeral like you know like everyone gets emotional in their own way some cry some don't but actually the the biggest thing about any death is that you have people around you to support you yeah. and people didn't have people at that time i mean we had two deaths in my family um during covid uh, in 2021 one was covid one wasn't but the fact that we couldn't even mourn together it just you know so in in that way of starting this digi sangat going to the funerals and allowing people who can't come to the funeral to sort of connect um it it helps the it helped a lot of people um and yeah emotion wise it was it was tough to deal with like some days i mean we couldn't see the bodies the ones especially who passed away with covid you went they they had a closed box um rule but um more than anything the closure i think for those families and watching you know like sons daughters wives mothers fathers not having a closure with their loved one was even harder than actually being you know involved i mean you can't really put it into words there's so no, many no. different emotions yeah but i think like, i think i think though you know there isn't that closure in terms of you know you said the word closure but i would use a stronger word in kind of trauma in a way because you have you've got that collect those people who suffered loss i think everyone got touched by loss in, in over that period and you know one of my friends he he lost his dad like i think he was one of the first but he, it wasn't covid related 
but no, you know, he was a massive pillar in the community, and you just couldn't go over to pay your respects and stuff, and you couldn't even be there for your mate. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah and it was that's it. And that was hor- that was that was a horrible feeling. But then knowing to have that kind of pressure that you're everybody's eyes and ears and emotion, you're the sense on that day is you that's know it, yeah. you, that that's fine. But having your di- downtime and having that supervision or whatever it may be is you know is is just as important as well. So the w- the way I went into it was like the way I see it, everything happens for a reason. And I was given an opportunity, my team, so I always say me, but it's always a team, so it wasn't just me, but we were given the opportunity to do the seva of our community as a whole, not just the Sikh community, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, whoever needed our service, you know, we we would happily, you know, do it. And we were given the opportunity and not, not everyone gets given the opportunities. Like, um, uh, we were given the opportunity um, by Guru Sahib, by our community, you know, to do this. Um, and it was just right there. It wasn't, you know, not something that we had to search for. It was just like staring at us in the face like, mate, you got the equipment, you got the knowledge. It's all there. Take the opportunity. If you don't do it, it's not like we're going to give it to someone else. But, I mean, look, it's your opportunity to actually do something. And we took the opportunity. So um, literally driving around the country and doing uh, broadcasting funerals and um, even days leading up to a funeral, uh, we would do like, um, like we'd set a time for, for a particular family, like say seven o'clock every single day, we'd do an hour long gift. And so I would either get a fresh gift and recorded in India and sent over to me, or I'd use historic gift. And for example, if there's a, if a family like a certain gift or a certain ruggy or a certain person they'd like to listen to, I'd basically get their footage and play it for them every day at seven o'clock. So they'd have it, they'd have it times a lot. Um, and they would basically send the links to their families and everybody would sit and watch the Kirtan at the same time or the Gatta or whatever. And so it was just another way of everyone connecting. And then on the day of the funeral, and uh, depending on how the family wanted it, we'd do a Sukhumi side in the morning and then two hour gap and then the funeral would start. So we did that a lot as well. So, um, in the in basically up even up until now, um, I did a funeral two weeks ago. So, um, I mean, we've been blessed with the seva. Um, it it was hard, not going to lie, but mm. I mean, look, somebody had to do it. And then with with this came, you know, you got you were fortunate to uh, get recognised for that. Just tell us a little bit about that. So one of um, we got nominated. Uh, an MBE um, so the Queen's New Year's, New Year's honours list um, I, I found out about a month or so before the list came out um, it was quite weird because um, I was actually at work and um, I received an, I was sitting so I was sitting down and my phone pinged and I picked up my phone and I'm looking at it like what's this weird like you know you get people get you get loads of weird emails yeah it's a scam yeah. Oh dear, Mister Dahili, uh, you. This is like this is for your eyes. Like, you know something like highly. Like, was, it, was it normally you would say if there's oh we need to put thirty million in your bank account? Yeah, just give us your <laughs> yeah, bank account. Yeah, I might have the email here actually. You know, um, uh, uh, basically the email said something like you've been nominated for uh, for an MBE or a BEM, which is a British Empire Medal. Mm-hmm. Um, British Empire Medal or something like that. I said, like, okay, 
I looked at it. Man. Also, they said so, that you might get one or the other. No, yeah, you've been nominated for for BEM basically yeah. for a BEM, and I looked at it and I went, oh, what's a BEM? I don't even know. Um, I looked at it and I was because I was work. I didn't pay any attention to. It. I just put my phone down. I left it. Three days later, I was sitting in my office, and I thought, well, let me just check that email. So going through my emails, going and I, and I came across the email again. And I looked at it. I went, I can't tell if this is fake or not. So. I said I sent it to my dad and I said, Dad, listen, read this email. My dad looked at it, he goes, it's fake. And he and he rubbish page on day one day. It's fake. I said, Oh, it's all around there, innit? I deleted it. Deleted the email. And then um Oh my god. And in the evening, uh, I was on the computer again and then I thought, you know what, let me just check. Cause you know sometimes you get a dodgy number or you you can Google it and you can find out. Yeah. If it's legit or not, or it could be the bank calling, it could be like whoever calling. So I went to the, I went to the email, I highlighted some names, put me to Google, and it was like the the guy who basically signed off the email, put it in, and it came up, and I went oh, okay. I put the telephone number in, it came up. I went oh, it said cabinet office. I went oh, okay. Uh, I don't think this is fake. So I responded back to the email, and then with the next morning, I got an email back saying. Uh, thank you for your uh, thank you for your email back. We'll um, we'll let you know like what the process is next. I went uh, okay. So I sat there and I thought, who would do this? So I started calling all my team members and 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 they were all playing dumb. And I was like, what's going on? Um, and then I figured out who it was and how it happened eventually. And um, um, and after that, it was like just backwards and forwards with them. Um, you know, making sure that I'm a British citizen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, proper proper passport or, or whatever. You know, just normal legalities that have to go through. And uh, and then and then when they announced it in December 2020, sorry, 2020, 2019, they announced it. Um, it was like, it's like, I think I was probably the youngest person on the list uh, by far. <laughs> um, and I was I was I was obviously clearly a very different looking person from what the normal MBE guys were uh, or whoever got and, and they upgraded to an MBE from a BEM okay. um, for a reason I don't know so um, that was in November and then in um, February my diary passed away so I remember actually they announced it and it went like virally and then people were calling it was like it was like I felt like I was getting married again or something, you know. Like or, or I won the lottery <laughs> or, and people. Or, or it was what the response should have been to the album. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Um, yeah. So no, you know, uh, um, it was just literally like um, I went to see my gran. I went to see my daya, and um, my gran was like my grandpa. Was, she she was like really wasn't really with it, and she was thinking all things. But she bought a laddu out, and you know, she said you know my daya was really happy and stuff. And yeah, it was just a, it was a really nice time for my family, really good period, like to be recognized for, for that, uh, for, for Seva. I mean, look, in, in all honesty, um, we don't need recognition from any human being living alive. The only person that matters is Guru Saab. As long as Guru Saab is happy, um, the re- you reap the rewards of whatever you do. Yeah. So for us, it was more like, um, okay, cool, it's there, but it's not, it's not everything. Even now, like, I don't use my MBE to any advantage, you know. Yeah. What, just... do, what do you get? What's the, like, you get, like, free cinema tickets or what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually don't know. <laughs> I, 
You know, probably go to Natural History Museum, isn't it? Probably. Oh, probably, I don't know. Probably free ride at Thorpe Park or something. I don't know. But um, no, um, you know, I never found out. Um, I've had tons of media outlets trying to like to contact me and stuff, but I just couldn't be bothered. You know, you know what it is? Like, this is like because sometimes, it, as as in the current environment, the that whole Commonwealth the MB it can be quite kind of controversial. Can be problematic as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, like, yeah. I think you kind of said it that you know. You weren't after that recognition. You did it. You're doing it for Sarah, and you have to just bruise, get by on it, and 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 from that. So that's it. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Hundred percent. I mean, look, I did get a little bit of backlash from our community, but at the end of the day, we live here. We pay taxes. Our tax papers come, and it says they're HM revenue and services, whatever it, what HMRC. So, you know, we pay in direct to the crown. We should also reap the rewards in the UK if we're getting stuff. We, we don't we as a community we don't we are probably we're the, we're a model community for the british government we pay the most tax we have the less amount of people on you know government funding we we literally we are we are it's in our dna to stand up on our two feet whether you have a family or not you the the the, the proof is in the pie you look at the amount of hodges that are living in the, in the uk and none of them they all want to work i've come across hundreds they all want to work um, they all want to stand on their own two feet. They all want their life here or wherever. We're exactly the same. Doesn't mean that we're born here and we're second or third generation here. We all want to stand up on our two feet. We pay taxes to the government because then we can buy our houses because without paying a tax, you can't get a mortgage. Mm. And if you're not going to get a mortgage, you're going to rent on, live on rent for the rest of your life unless it's dumb. Mm. <laughs> I mean, some people's <laughs> order is different. But look, Punjab, the Punjabi mentality is we want our own things. We want mm. a big garden. We want a big house. Well, we want a house. We want a garden. We want a car. If you, to get anything, to get a, even a line of credit, you have to pay tax. The tax goes to the crown. I'm not justifying the MBE, by the way. Yeah. Just saying, innit? It's just these thoughts that you have. Um, what, I'm, what, what I'm typing in now is I'm going to find out the benefits on this. So hang on, let's have a seat. Okay, so benefits of, of having the MBE, right? So you can go to top corporate purchasing agents. That means you need a lot of money. Then you Do go what? to premium networking events. So that's like speed dating. <laughs> and then you got searchable, well, <laughs> searchable supplier databases. So affordable consulting services. You know something? I could be looking at some other kind of search. I think you're uh, looking at something Yeah, else, I'm having a look at it. Yeah, I, was just, I was going there. This is a business. Oh, here we go. Here we go. For example, did you know holders of an MB are above or above are entitled to get married at St. Paul's Cathedral? <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, so St. Paul's Cathedral. Let's have a look. Anything else? What about funerals? Because when I die, I want to go to St. Paul's Cathedral, mate. Yeah, but who's going to. Yeah, <laughs> but then get me there. But then who's going to. Who's going to film you? <laughs> mate, if you're still around, I'll give you my camera. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you need to look into it a little bit more, man. But I, I, could nah, be, you know I could be your plus one, man. Uh, no, yeah, no worries. Yeah, but the only thing I'm the only thing I'm interested in again upgrading to uh, to business class, mate. Free upgrade. <laughs> who cares about everything else? <laughs> I'm gonna go there. Look, you know who I am. This yeah. is me. This is me. <laughs> so you know, the kind of like the next stages of with Dizzy Sungut. Then is what is what does that look like? Have you got kind of thinking about what so we, how it's gonna progress? Oh, as COVID sort of diminishing now. Like, I mean, I think it's always gonna be there. So. Yeah. Um, the Digi Sangat's sort of um, aim is changing. The other thing we did do, so I didn't touch on, is um, 
we did a, a moon mantra job, a mass job. So we all know what the moon mantra is. Um, so what we decided to do was sort of four world peace and Badapala and for people suffering with COVID. Uh, we organized a, a mass job and they basically you'd go, <clears throat> you'd basically do your, say you did 108 or 100 moon mantras in the day. You basically WhatsApp us or email us. This is how many I've done today. And then we'd collate it in a, in a sheet. Uh, and then we had a, I think we were going to do it over a two month basis to start with. And we had an aim of 250,000. And uh, we ended up doing 11 million as a massive, like, uh, and we had people joining in from like Japan, Burma, South Africa, Kenya, Tanzania, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, America, every city in the UK, uh, every town in the UK. Um, literally like because um, we, we were doing it on mostly the WhatsApp my WhatsApp phone here it, I would wake up in the morning and I'd have something like 120 WhatsApps on this phone every day I would literally go through each one type it into a Excel spreadsheet and then collate it and when we finished it was 11 million so uh, we've done a few of those we've got another one currently going on now for Ukraine and World Peace uh, which is going to finish on the Saki day so going forward I think we're going to do more stuff like that uh, also organize um, as the weather gets better. Uh, we're gonna organize like uh, a a, a Mulamantar walk. So it will be like go to a local park, like a nice park, uh, with a with like a, with a personality like Veer Manpreet Singh or or someone who's uh, who can you know, someone who could do a philosophical talk or something like that. So a walk with them, and then a little twenty minute little uh, discussion with them, and then a picnic. And then I think going forward for our older community, I think pushing that one, that, that sort of thing forward more than anything else. I mean, it's fantastic what you've, what you've done and achieved. And, you know, there's one thing about seeing an opportunity, but there's another thing about actually doing something with it. And, um, you know, for what you've done and you've had the recognition, you know, fair play to you, mate. So, you know, well done for that. I'm gonna, Thank you. I'm going to go off, off, off piece now, back to kind of the promotion thing as well. So, like, yeah. Alongside this, you were doing some of the other, like your Desi beats, where you were working with Prash, and that's become a, a, you know, a massive beast in itself. So Desi beats, uh, the guy, what they've done as a team, like I, I can't take any credit because I'm not technically, <laughs> technically, technically, I'm not really like, uh, I wouldn't say I'm fully involved with Desi beats. Desi beats, I treat like my my brand. It's like my baby as well, as well as I mean. First of all, Prash, um, he was on your he was on your mm. podcast, I think, a few weeks back. He's not even a Punjabi dude. For the fact that he's a, a non-Punjabi dude doing this, yeah, and he's taken it this far, it just you know shows you the power of our culture. As as uh, our community has hundred percent accepted him. So first of all, that's the first thing. And then uh, he, same with Aline, his partner. Um, I don't even think the guy can speak a word of Punjabi but you know like the passion for doing events for Asians with them too is massive and I saw that and I got involved uh, in, in a few of the old school events uh, targeted at the older age range um, so um, we done um, an event together called Desi Live at Box Park in 2019 and that was my first real big event outside uh, out, out of Haveli um, and um, the reaction that we got, I mean, you can just go back and look on the social media and our YouTube page that 
the, the feedback, the reaction, the amount of people that showed up, it was just like, it took us all by surprise. And uh, we're currently, uh, I don't know when you're going to play this, but we're currently... It'll, um, it'll come out, it'll come out in, like next Wednesday. So it's the first today, yeah, April 4th. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so yeah. So, you're, uh, so yeah, we're currently about 10 days away to the next event, Desi Live Part 2, which is at the O2. Um, Excuse me, Desi Live, Desi Beats, Desi in the City, uh, all the Desi brands that we have in London. I've seen them grow in front of my eyes, um, and it is a beast. And I can only see it getting bigger and better. And I'm all I can say is I'm really honoured and uh, I'm proud to be involved in Desi Live. And um, I, you know, as much as we 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 want to serve our community, this is another way of doing that. Because um, a big part of being Punjabi, a big part of being Punjabi in the UK is music. It's, um, so it's just another way of, yeah. you know, just following on from what we did in the past. It's just basically another way of doing that. You know, you're you're talking. It's, it's on the. It's been the It's dominated the news and stuff. And you come from that kind of promoting background. If Will Smith did that at one of your events, yeah. Would you have kicked him out of the venue? <laughs> what, no, what, do you, what, what do you what do you think about all of that anyway? Will Smith. Oh man, look, he's been through a lot, man, and um, his wife's put him through a lot, of, a lot of rubbish. So I think you know, I think it's more of a mental thing for him because uh, he was laughing at first, and then obviously he saw her. You got the look in it. He yeah, got he the got, look, he got, yeah, he got the look for the missus. She's like going, "What are you laughing at?" And I think maybe for him, I might be wrong, but it may be for him. It might be a way of quashing that rumor or whatever that's going on around about him and her. So he's probably thinking, "Now, now's my time. My, my, now's my chance. Let's give him a slap on the biggest show on earth." He remember it for that, and I don't know. It could be anything. It could be. They couldn't even have a film coming out next week called Anger Management, for all we know. So, so you're, you're already thinking about promotion. I just thought it was just like, he's gone, he's seen him. And they've just thought about it. Because you you can see it for a second, like, he's done it. And then he's kind of turned around and walked back, realising I can't really continue. Like, it's already happened at that bit. And then his lips quivering, his head's gone. And Chris Rock is trying to, like, obviously trying to save the show. And then he's he shouted out again. And then, like, Oh, first everyone thought it was kind of fake or kind of scripted. I think when he heard I thought the, the slap, the slap looked fake. But then the second part when he when he when he started swearing at him again, yeah, yeah, see, yeah, that, yeah. that's when you saw uh, energy change in it. That you think, hang on, this this is this is legit. This is real. Yeah. But like at the end of the day, if they've got a comedian and that's what your your job is, you know, you know, you're gonna get ripped in that. You you've you've got you got you got paid to be there at the end of the day. But would he would he have got up if it was Ricky Gervais? Do you reckon? You know, there, there was a lot of people that you see in a lot of the articles that if he if he if it was a white comedian, he said that, or if it was The Rock who was there, who was bigger than him, what would he have done? He would have done nothing. He would have just sat there and just said done nothing. Because I think this guy, um, he they obviously they used to look up to Will Smith, right? So I think Will Smith, Michael Jackson are the kind of characters that they all used to look up to growing up. And so I think the same similar generation, but then it's like it's like anything, isn't it? If you're if I'm on the but, stage singing or DJing and someone like uh, 
Dr. Zeus came up to give me a slap, I'd shit myself too. <laughs> like, yeah. what have I done wrong, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, people like gigs have been thrown out for a lot less. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? so, so it'll be like, I just but yeah, I mean, like, it's the most pre- prestigious event to ever, probably in the world, the Oscars. There's nothing bigger than that. So I, I'm not, I think I'm they not all, sure. I think they all lost out from that. It just, it, it marred a lot of other people's hard work or, you know, their I don't think it's going to affect Will Smith, to be fair. I, I think, think it will, man. I don't think it will. I think if you've got right. someone, if you've got someone that loot, if you're spending X amount, a million pounds on a, on a thing, right? And then you've got somebody like that who's, Clearly, there's issues. Okay, we can agree with that. There's issues. Would you take a financial risk at him at this moment in time? Not two years down the line. I'm saying at this moment in time. But you know what? He produces his own films anyway, so he's yeah, thinking I, I don't care. Like I don't know if you've seen Bel Air on Sky, which is playing at the moment. So I mean, it's okay. Yeah, it's I mean, drug, I, I like yeah. I like the way how it's shot. I like that. Yeah. I haven't seen any. I, to be honest, I haven't paid any. Uh, no, I watched a couple of episodes. It's, it's pretty good. Um, it's nothing like what Fresh Prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more. It's more the storyline, proper serious space. But um, the guy, I think they went off and they opened up their own studio because they felt like they were being marginalised by general white people in America and the white white I film community. That could that could be true, but generally, some of his last films were shit. Yeah, they're bad. Yeah, they yeah bad. Gem, like Gemini Man and that was bad. Oh uh, yeah, watch that. Was it? Oh, Bad Boys was alright. It was alright. It was good. It was if funny. You, you couldn't see. That was awful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. But you know what it is with him? He's always gonna. He'll bounce back. Give it a few months. He'll come out with something. He's 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 too he's a too he's too much of a powerful human being. If there was royalty in America, he'd be the king, and Jay Z and Beyonce would be the prince and princess. But definitely, man. You know, he's he's on that. I, I, he's on I, that I used to like him. I, I I I started to go off him for a little bit, and then this kind of some. I'm not like not that he gives a shit what I think, but I was just like, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? anyway. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> so suddenly this is your bit now, where I sort of, um, if you've obviously heard it, um, it is the bandwagon. This is your opportunity to either jump on one or jump off one, or if there's anything that you want to clear off your chest, this is your opportunity to do so. You know, on all honesty, anyone that knows me knows that if I've got a problem, I'd see you on the spot. Sidney <laughs> yeah. so, Gunn. It's the best way, man. Sidney Gunn, look, everyone has ups and downs in life. And I have known to be to go off on one in the past. And, I mean, you know what? In all, in all, in, in all honesty, if I have offended anyone, I'm really sorry. Um, one of my major flaws, right? Right, I'm just gonna cuss myself. That's probably the best way to do it. Um, one of my major flaws is when I do stuff, I forget to mention people's names. <laughs> I can just hear, I can hear my family laughing right now, right? <laughs> but I mentioned I forget to mention people's names, and that gets me into a lot of trouble. <laughs> so, all apologies. It has been happening a lot of time. But um, look, in any sense, successful or not in life, everyone has people that help them. So, and I believe that truly, like, if someone's helped me in life and I know them and I truly know them, I don't believe that you need to thank them on every corner. But what I do believe is that pivotal points in life, you should thank people and be appreciative of what people have given you, God's given you. You know, even 
if you don't know the person, whatever, you should always be appreciative and try and show it as much as you can. But I'm really bad at that. So I always get in trouble and say, you don't say thank you. You don't say thank you. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's a lesson for everyone there, um, you know, to do that. And uh, is it, I think that is kind of a common thing as well. So don't feel do it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're conscious about it, at least then you could do it. If you weren't conscious about it and you're doing it, then that, <laughs> that's, a, that's a bigger issue. I think, yeah, generally you should just be appreciative of everything. The fact that we're, after COVID, that fact that we're alive, kicking, eating well, sitting in the same room and not worrying about wearing masks and washing hands is, is something to be thankful about, definitely. On that note, some people still need to wash their hands and uh, <laughs> yeah. face masks on. Well, some people need to shower also. So. Yeah, just, just, <laughs> just to save it from their breath. Anyway, Sonny. <laughs> Nice to speak to you, man. I really appreciate it. Door, Thank you door's so always open and um, we'll look forward to your next projects as well, mate. Thank you so much for having me and um, keep listening to the bandwagon. <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs>